we're, we're in a two-part series on prayer that... Say it out loud. Prayer that... Prayer that works. And, and if you're like me, I grew up uh, in church uh, once I got radically saved as a young man. And there were moments in my life that I was like, man, prayer doesn't work. I've been praying about this stuff. It's not working. And so hopefully this series will help alleviate some of the confusion there, get you on the right track so that you and I, when we pray, it works. Isn't that good? Say yes. There was this lady, Christian lady, she lived next door to an atheist. And every day, she'd begin to pray, and the atheist guy could hear her through the, through the walls because her house was so close. And, and he thought to himself, this lady's crazy, praying all the time. Doesn't she know there isn't a God? And many times while she was praying, he'd go to her house and harass her, saying, Lady, why do you call out? There's no God. He don't hear you. There's nobody answering you. One day... She was praying, and he overheard her praying for groceries. She said, Lord, I'm in a trouble situation, and I need groceries. I don't have money for it. So he thought, ha, ha, I'll fix her. He went to the store. He bought tons of groceries. He showed up. He snuck it on her, on her front porch, and he rang the doorbell and went and hid behind the bushes. And she comes out. There's the groceries. She starts praising God. Come on like a good sister. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And she started worshiping God. And the atheist jumped out. Neighbor jumped out from behind the bushes and said, Aha! See, I told you. God didn't do that for you. I did that for you. See, there is no God. I did that for you. And she took off running down the street. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He got caught up with her and running next to her. He said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I knew God answered prayer. I just didn't think he would use the devil to do it. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. We're going to jump in the scriptures today in Matthew chapter 21, in verse 21 and 22. It'll be up on the screens here for you if you don't have your Bible. This is where Jesus is literally telling them that they can tell that mountain, be thou removed. And there's a key piece in it. You'll see it underlined in our scripture. It says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, everybody say, not doubt. Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, because he had cursed the fig tree and it had, it had withered, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Come on, some of you felt that way about a spouse here or there. And it will be done. Verse 22. And if you believe, you will receive. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Say it again. Whatever you ask for in prayer. Turn to the next person next to you and say, in prayer. Whatever you ask for in prayer. I think this is a critical piece that most people misunderstand. Most people say, well, the Bible says I can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. But they miss the critical piece in prayer. Jesus is teaching a very valuable, very important lesson. This can happen when you're in prayer. Not when you're in doubt. Not when you're in criticism. Not when you're in rebellion. Come on now. When you are in prayer. And what he's talking about is when you are in an engagement with God the Father. When you are in engagement. See, we live in a generation now we don't like to engage each other. We like to send text messages. We like to hit up on the Facebook real quick, pow, and send it out. We don't engage in communication as well as we used to. And we're not engaging in communication. And so what we do many times with our relationship with the Lord and prayer is that what we'll do is we'll just throw up a little quick one. Wapow, and the reason why we text message, and I have a number of folks that I'm in a relationship with, and they told me the other day, I said, why do you always text? Why won't you answer me when I call? They said, oh, because Pastor, then we've got to be nice to you for a couple minutes. And then, you know, we've got to talk about stuff I don't really have time to talk about. And especially you mamas, come on, you know, you've you got a baby on the hip, you're trying to do all these other things. So a quick text message, you're multitasking, you send it out, and you wait for that reply, and then you deal with it while you're dealing with ten other things, right? That's what we end up doing in prayer. 
and we don't understand why there's a brokenness. Because Jesus isn't talking about sending up tweets. He's not talking about throwing a text to the Father. He's talking about being engaged. And when you and I are engaged in communication, whatever you ask, it'll be done. Whatever you ask in faith, because you're in engagement. Because here's the difference. When I'm in an engaging conversation with you, and I say something, and you don't like it, what do you do? And I realize, ooh, I, I might not should have said that. Hmm, I might not should have, said, should, have, should have said to you that short people should rule the world. Hmm, that may not have been a good conversation point there, seeing how you're 6'6", six, six and I'm 5'7". And so when I'm in engagement, I can sense, I can feel, I can know, not just by what they say, not just by what they texted or tweeted. How many emails have you gotten only to understand later that that's not what they meant? How many times has autocorrect messed your whole life up? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Come on now. But when you're in engagement, you go, look, that's not coming out the way I'm in it. You know, many times Jamie and I have had disagreements. I'm like, whatever you think I'm saying is not what I'm trying to say because there's no reason you should be mad right now. What I'm saying is nice. Don't you get it? And, uh, you know, it's that, like, you remember the Twix? In, time for a Twix, you know? Because <laughs> how do I look in this? Oh, you know, anyway, I've messed those up a couple of times. And the reason why I understood that, because we were in engagement. When the Bible talks about you can ask for whatever you want, you can say to a mountain, be thou removed and cast in the sea, in prayer, in engagement. And so Jesus, in the... In the hoping and trying to help his disciples learn how to engage Father God, when they came to him, and we talked about this just for a moment last week, they came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. Everybody say, how to pray. Not what to pray. And here's what we have. Dead in religion changes the context of that and says, this is what you should pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, how to be thy name, thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. And that's about the extent of what we think we're supposed to do. That's not engaging. Jesus said, I'll teach you how to pray. And then he jumps into how to engage the Father. If you've, you know, I've got a number of young men that, that used to not be Christians and they've gotten radically saved and they're serving the Lord and, and their dating life before they were a Christian is not to be modeled now that they are a Christian. And so they're, they're, uh, they allow me to coach them a little bit. And so, Pastor, what do I say now? How do I, how do I work that out? How do I go about that? And so I'm coaching them not on what to say. It's not like they've got an earpiece. Tell her this now, baby. You must be an angel that's fallen from heaven. You know, they're, they're not listening to what, what to say. I, I'm teaching them how to go about engaging the opposite sex in a godly format opposed to what they used to do. You know, like, hey, how you doing? You know, and let's throw that out and let's engage. So Jesus is teaching the disciples how to engage the Father and not a religious, uh, dead, uh, trifle type of way, but actually how to have engagement with him. And he goes into the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to give you seven pieces that we find in the Lord's Prayer on how you and I can begin to engage God, even as Jesus taught his disciples 2,000 years ago. And you know the verse... Uh, verse 9 of chapter 6 of Matthew. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive or have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So let's break down what we see is kind of seven pieces in here on how you and I can begin to engage the Father and have a, have a relationship communication so that when we're in prayer, we begin to take on his nature and his characteristics so when we pray, it'll work instead of going, how come it's not working? Are you with me? Say yes. First piece, verse 9, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. The first piece in engaging God the Father is that relationship aspect. Now, many of us didn't have good fathers, and so that's been the attack on the American family to destroy the relationship with the Father. So when you and I hear the word Father, it's not an endurement term. And so when we hear Father, our Father, which are in heaven, that doesn't bring back ooey-gooey feelings of love and support and confidence building and always having your back and always providing for you. But that's the context in which Jesus says it. Listen, our Father relationship. Can I tell you something? If you're a Christian, raise your hand in the room. You love Jesus the best you know how. And you say, can I tell you? You can boldly come into the presence of the living God. You can, bo- you can walk in and say, Daddy! Daddy! My children, it doesn't matter who I'm meeting with, it doesn't matter how important that person is, when my kids need daddy, they flow open their, daddy! Daddy! Why? Because they know this. It's not, my fathership is not based on them being good or bad, it's based on the fact they're mine. See, being a Christian is not about me being good or bad, going to church enough, tithing enough, being in a small group enough. My Christianity is based on the fact I belong to him. That's daddy. He's my daddy, and I can boldly come into his throne. I can boldly come into his presence and say, Daddy, oh, I love you so much. Father, our father, my dad. And I know some of you, that's a tough transition from what you went through in life, in your childhood, or even your adulthood experiences with father figure, if you will. But I want you to know, God is a father to the fatherless. Thank you, Jesus. He loves you with an everlasting love. See, you and I... We think that before we can reestablish a relationship, before you and I can come back, like I haven't seen you in a couple weeks, we think before you come back and talk to me, you're going to you're gonna have to cower a little bit. You know, last time we had a conversation, you did such and such, and you didn't do it right. So now if you want to talk to me, you're going to have to come up right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just want to say before we do anything, I, I'm so sorry. And we think that's how we have to approach God because we've sinned between the last two times we had a conversation with him. Can I just say something to you? He's not you, and he's not me. He's not, that, what makes him God is that he can say, come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Come here. Just come to daddy. And we're not going to, let's not worry about what you do, did right and did wrong right now. Just come to daddy. Come to daddy. And as Jesus is teaching us to engage the father, he, I think it's kind of cool that he doesn't start. And we must come and cower ourselves and trembling and say, oh, God. God, if you would please accept me into the room. If I can just sense the royal treatment. If you can extend your royal scepter to allow me in. Oh God, I know I've been wicked. This is what most of us think needs to happen before we come. And so depending on where you were raised, if you were raised in Pentecostalism, then you, you, you got it down to a path. The moment we, oh God, oh God, oh God. You know, you guys are raised Baptists like, you know, God, I know you're there. Short on time, so let's get this done. No, I'm just kidding. I'm picking on all of us. <laughs> and so what you've got to understand is our Father is a term of endurement. It's a term of relationship. So when you want to engage, when we're talking about having a prayer life, we're talking about having a, 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 a time of sitting down and praying and interacting with our God, we're talking about engagement. And the first step that Jesus laid out for us is to come boldly and treat it as a right relationship with God the Father. Isn't that good? Say yes. Come on. Here's the second piece, he says. And then he goes, hallowed be thy name. He goes into worship. That's the second piece. Hallowed be thy name. 
Hallelujah. Blessed are you, O God, above the heavens and the earth. There are none like you. There is no one who can stand against the right arm of our God. You are God. You are the creator. You are the sustainer. And you are the great deliverer. I will worship you not only in this life, but in the life to come. You are my God, an everlasting king, an everlasting presence. You are the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. I thank you, O God, that I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Because you are God. The reason why we worship when we start our celebration services is because Jesus laid it out that way. That we should come and begin to worship. And say, you're great. Have we repented yet in Jesus' model? Have we asked for horrible, uh, you know, uh, going down our little checklist of what we need to have? We haven't done any of that yet. Jesus' model on how we should interact or engage in the Father is to first treat him as the Father that he is, acknowledge that, and then move into worshiping him for who he is. Isn't that powerful? And so you'll find me sometimes. My prayer time's not always in my, in my, you know, in my closet, not always in my, my office. Sometimes my prayer time's in the car. And so if you're riding past me about that moment where I'm hitting point number two, I'm in there, hallelujah, glory, you are awesome. You look over at me like, that guy has lost his mind. And the reason why, because he's been good to me. He's been good to me. He should have done away with me when I cursed his name for our babies dying in the womb. I, I'd have thrown me out after how I treated him. He should have done away with me years ago when I misrepresented him to, to the nations of the world and only was after my own selfish ambition. But he's good. And his kindness endures to all generations. And his mercies are renewed every morning. He's my God. An everlasting king that I'll serve forever and ever. Here's the third piece that Jesus lays out in him teaching us how to engage the Father. And that is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Do you understand God has a plan? You understand? He has a strategy. He has kingdom business that he's trying to accomplish in the earth. And we are his representations as Christians in the earth. And he has, a, he has kingdom business that he's trying to get after. We actually call that intercession when we begin to pray, Lord, your kingdom business. Lord, your kingdom business. Do you know the fact that you live next to, to the person you live next door to? God has planted you there. And the love that you have for Jesus, he wants that to spill over to them. So therefore, you're strategically planning to touch their hearts and their lives. Did you know that? And so when you and I begin to pray, your kingdom come. Lord, what do you have on the agenda? How may I serve you today? Oh God, what is your business that I can call forth into the earth today? Lord, what are you trying to accomplish at my job? Your kingdom business, God. Let that come forth today. Isn't that neat that Jesus covers it? We still haven't repented yet. Isn't that good? We've talked about, we've, we've interacted with him as our father. We've worshipped his holy name. And then we come into this place, Lord God, that your kingdom business would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the third piece, excuse me, the fourth piece, and that's this submission. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submission, the fourth piece that he lays out, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I asked the first service, how is God's will done in heaven? Your will be done on earth the same way it's done in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Does it look like this? Hey, uh, hey, angels, I think I'd like a, you know, I think I'd like a Dr. Pepper. You go get me one? <sighs> there he is again. Get him a Dr. Pepper. <sighs> I mean, I, like we slaves or something. I don't know. That's not how God's will is done in heaven. God's will is done in heaven like this. Hey, I think I'm, <sighs> wow, thanks. I didn't even get thirsty out of my mouth. Wow. But on earth, we treat God's will as well, only if I agree with it. The difference between us and all the other created creatures is he allowed us to have a will that can oppose his will. 
about that? I heard an argument one time. A guy was like, if there's a God up there, then why didn't he just make us all loving? Because he's a good God. And he gave us the ability to choose. And then how about that? So the creator creates something and gives them the ability to choose to love him back. If you've ever had a child who treated you dirty, did you wrong, you know the rejection that God the Father feels. He said, look, I brought you into this world. I financed you. I loved you. When you had 104 fever, I sat by your bed. I did this, did this and now you're going to treat me like this? The brokenness that that creates. But God the Father continues to love, continues to love. So when Jesus says, and then the next step that you need to walk into, Lord, your will be done. What that is is a place of submission where you and I come to the place, Lord, I know what I want. I know what I think is right. But Lord, what do you want? What's your will in this situation? Because, Lord, I'm praying right now, your will be done in this situation. Because right now, I want to kill him. I want to stab him in the middle of the night, Lord. And so I need you to give me what you want and how you're going to fix him. Because right now, he's unfixable, in my opinion. But, Lord, nevertheless, your will be done. When you and I start praying God's will be done, when we start asking him, what do you desire, God? Then what happens is prayer starts working. It starts working. When you and I say, no, I want this way right now. See, we're Americans, and as Americans, we have this amazing gift from the Lord. We can do what we want to do. We have freedom. But as a result, we become consumers, and we become self-focused. So if I don't like it, I'm out. I don't like you anymore. You're not the same girl I married, so I'm finding me a nothing, because you ain't good enough. And so what happens is because we have free will and we have choice and those kind of pieces, we become our own demigods. We want it our way. And so then when we become Christians, we have this struggle why God won't do what I want him to do. When he's the God of heaven and earth. And so there's this conflict. And we're like, I don't understand why it's not working. It's not working because you still haven't submitted and surrendered your will. And I've been there. Come on, somebody. I'm an only child. It took a lot of learning to surrender my will. Because what I wanted was what I wanted. What was yours was mine, and what was mine was mine. That was the attitude in which I grew up with. And so to surrender my will was a whole new level of learning how to interact and engage the living God. Okay, here's the next piece. You still there? Say yes. Come on, you still love me? Say, go ahead, Pastor. All right. No, verse 11, he says, and give us today our daily bread. Our fifth point out of his teaching here is petition. The Lord's not mad with us petitioning him for the needs that we have. In fact, he says it like this in another part of scripture. He talks about the, the, the woman who, who just kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And the judge said, I don't even believe in her God. I don't even care about this woman. But she's driving me insane, so I'm going to give her what she wants. And Jesus is actually connecting that parable to our relationship with God the Father. That we petition him, that we petition him, that we petition him. If we're petitioning him in reference to his will, then he begins to move on. He begins to move on. He begins to move on. And it becomes something powerful and supernatural. And we can say thou to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. I command it to let go. I command it to let go in Jesus' name. I command you off of my child. He'll not live in perversion. I command you off in Jesus' name. I petition you, Father. Don't let my baby boy go down like this. Lord, I petition you, Father. Don't let him go down like this. I petition you, oh God. Don't let us lose our house. Don't let, oh God, I petition you, oh God. We break the spirit of poverty and you begin to petition and begin to push it out the way. Are you with me? Say yes. And this is what the scriptures are teaching and how to engage the Lord. Have we repented yet? Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. 
I don't know why dead religion somehow comes upon each and every one of us and we think we cannot engage God until we, have, until we repent. Some of you think, I cannot, be, I cannot interact with God. I can't pray until I go and get saved again. And I can't get saved until I get all this stuff straight. So I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this. Listen to me. He died for us while we were yet sinners. You trying to fix it before you go to God, it's like you trying to go to the doctor after you've already figured out what's wrong with you, and you're sitting there in the thing and say, sir, this is what I need. I need you to diagnose me. I've already pre-diagnosed myself. I just need you to go ahead and give me a prescription for this, 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 and this, because I'm an expert in my field. Yeah, I stayed at Holiday Inn Express last night. I know what I'm doing. Just go ahead and just prescribe it for me. And that, that's silly. That's foolish. You go to the doctor. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. I just want to die. And then he goes through his little checklist, or she goes through a little checklist, and she figures out, and she prescribes something. Listen, come to God as you are. And he fixes it all. That's crazy. Jesus, in talking about how engaged the Father, has five, six points where he ever gets to. And now let's repent. And now let's get to that, because that is point number six in Jesus' uh, 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 teaching or uh, pattern on how we should pray. And that is, forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and that's repentance. If you're new to our church, you probably hadn't had a chance to hear me say this, but everybody that's been around me a little bit longer uh, understands this principle that I teach all the time. Repentance is not bad. It's good. It's amazing. It's amazing that the God of heaven and earth allows us to come into relationship with him, mess that relationship up, and then repent and make it all back right again. It's like control-alt-delete. You get to reboot. Come on, somebody. Have you ever had the spinning wheel of death on your Mac product? You're sitting there going, oh, oh, my God. And you, hit, and you reboot that bad boy. It comes back right, and you're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. That's what repentance is. That's what repentance is. We get, we get to say, Lord, I, I blew it. I repent. Please forgive me. You don't have to get saved all over again. Because he's your father. You've asked him into your life. He's forgiven you. You don't have to keep going back. I've got to get saved again. I've got to get saved again. I, I cursed somebody this week. i got to get saved again. No, just repent. Control all delete. Sorry, Lord. Boy, I started becoming that again, Lord. And repentance doesn't mean just to feel bad about it. Repentance means I was going this way and I turned from it. And make right what I've done wrong. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not going back to that. And that's when you're in his presence, when you're engaging him and you're praying. He says, hey, remember? Remember what you did? Remember how you cussed out your your, your co-worker the other day? And you were all mad at him? I need you to go back and tell him you're sorry. What? Yeah, go back to that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's powerful. There have been multiple times that I've had to say, look, I just want to repent. I mean, just listen, I, I blew that. I apologize. I did that not so long ago. I mishandled somebody's trust. I thought I was doing right. And I looked them in the eye and said, I want to repent to you. I blew that. I think, would you give me another chance at that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, thanks for forgiving me. I mean, that's how God is. It's beautiful. And when you know I carry this burden that we got, and so I can't talk to my prayers, you know, my prayers are just checklists. Listen, engage God. And in engaging him, whatever you ask for in this engagement, what will happen is you'll start getting his will. You'll start knowing his desires. And before you know it, what you're asking for is what he wants. And then what happens is supernatural miracles start happening. You're like, I can't believe this. I was talking to one of our members this morning. He blessed me so much. He said, I don't know why I ran from the Lord for so long. He said, I finally surrendered. He said, man, you're not going to believe the new job I just got. 
he, he got big tears in his eyes. I got tears in my eyes. I'm like, God's so good, man. And he said it all came back to, I just stopped trying to do it my way and just say, God, I'll trust you. And when he surrendered, he <laughs> says, it's amazing. And the last and final piece that Jesus says is this, and that is a point number seven, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that is the prayer of protection. As you start closing out this interaction with the Lord, kind of your conclusion time, as you have your times of prayer, whether it be five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, ten hours, whatever you do, as you, Jesus is teaching us, the way you kind of conclude that is, and God, I need you to protect me. I need you to protect me from myself. Lead me not into temptation, but to deliver me from evil. Can I tell you something? It's not the internet's fault. It's that you and I love perversion. It's inside of us. The book of James says it's our own evil desires that drag us into temptation. It's our own flesh. It ain't a demon. I know some of y'all came out where everything was a demon. You sneeze. Come out, dem- demon of sneezing. You're overweight. Come out, Wendy's. You know, that's, listen, I'm telling you, the bottom line is a lot of that is our own flesh that needs to be crucified in Christ. Pop, pop. I'm not negating devils because we've, you know, we've all been delivered to something. But I want you to know something right now. When you and I say, Lord, I know, Lord, I can't, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Jesus, Lord, I, I struggle. I struggle with this, oh God. Protect me from me. God, protect me. Lord, protect my children. Lord, protect those that I love. I pray every day, oh God, protect my children. Oh, God, don't let anybody molest them. I've counseled so many people who were molested when they were kids. And so many people who who were messed up sexually because someone took advantage of them when they were in a place of innocence and had nobody to protect them. I told the first service, it was was a difficult season if you tried to babysit for us uh, back in the day. Because I'd set you down. Now, now let me ask you something. You know, I believe in small group life, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Pastor. You know, cell ministry is what we call it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm not scared to go into jail. I just want you to know, I'm going to lay that out first and foremost. If you molest my child, if you hurt them or do something to them sexually, I will kill you. And I will have a prison ministry. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. It'll be magnet. I'll love it. It'll be phenomenal. Because there's so many hurting people out there that got taken advantage of, and you're not going to do it to my child. There's so many pastors' kids that hate God, hate because daddy wasn't there to protect them because he was out there protecting everybody else. You're not going to do that with my children. You understand? They're like, yeah, Pastor Adam, we understand. I said, and they know. They'll tell me. If you do something inappropriate, get on our website or something like that. Get on our, our computer. Start do- They're going to tell me. Now, you tell me if they do something because I'm going to whoop them. You know, so we got this little plan going. All right, good, 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 good. Protection. Lord, protect us. Lord, help me with me. Lord, help me with the, the sinfulness of this world. Lord, it's, it's easy for me to go back into those old addictions. God, protect me from the love that I have of that alcohol and the smell of that marijuana. When I smell it, it's like, ooh, Jesus, you got to help me. I've got friends, man, they walk through the mall and all of a sudden they go, I'm like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go, come on, don't go that way. That's your old ways. <laughs> protect me from the evil one. Now, I get asked all the time, Pastor, how come my prayers don't get answered. I want to give you four points, and we'll start closing this out over the next two hours. I'm going to give you four points. All the new people are like, I knew we should have went to Catholic Church today. How come I pray, but God doesn't answer? Let me give you a couple thoughts on that, a couple of scriptural concepts. Number one, you may have a wrong motive. You may have a wrong motive. Look what James chapter 4 and verse 2 and 3 says. You do not have because you do not ask God. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Boy, you can't get any clearer than that. You do not have 
Because you do not ask with the wrong heart, the right motive. Because when you ask, where all you want to do is spend it on your own pleasures. Listen, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty. I, I wanted to be a big name minister for me. I don't really care about people. I wanted them to get healed, and I wanted them to have revival, and I wanted everybody to talk about how great Pastor Adam was. And Lord had to work it out of me. And I was like, why aren't you blessing my ministry? Why are you not blessing my ministry? And he said, because you have a wrong motive. You don't care about my people. You care about preaching and looking good. I said, oh, God. Oh God. How, how, did I know he, how did I know that? Because when I was in a time of engagement, he revealed to me. Prayer can't be you texting God what you want. Prayer can't be getting me out of jail free card at the last second right before I get in trouble with my boss. Prayer is you and I engaging God every day. Engage, sit down with him, talk with him, interact. If that's in the car, it's in the car. If it's late at night, late at night. If it's between football games, praise the Lord. I don't know how it works, but good for you. But the point of the matter is engage the living God, and he will reveal truth to you, and your ways will start becoming his ways. Our motives are just as judged by the Lord as our actions. That's why Jesus said, if you've looked upon a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You didn't go have sex with her. You didn't go sneak in her bedroom when her husband was away at work. But you've thought it all the way through and you've lusted in your heart. Jesus said, I'm, the, the Lord judges the motives as much as he judges the action. And so when you and I say, how do I get my motives straight? By engaging God. And your motives become his motives. Your desires become his desires. That's why you'll see a reason why we like to get you in small group life is because all of a sudden motives start coming out, don't they? Yeah, that's why people don't like to be in small group life. People don't want to be at our church. Many people come to our church and say, man, you, you guys are real serious about the small groups. I'd rather not do that because I don't, I, I don't like all that. I don't like all that knowing each other. Thank you. God bless you. There's another church down the street that you can go sit in. That would be awesome. We want to be the body of Christ. I want to grow. I don't want to be the same man I was last year. I don't want to have the same issues. I don't want my kids one day to say, man, my dad was a fake. He preached good, but he didn't live it. And so you know what I found? As iron sharpeneth iron, so one brother sharpens another. And so when I get in a relationship with people, they say, hey, man, Listen, I don't, I don't understand in judgment you, but, man, why do you treat your wife like that? Why do you treat her like she's an idiot? Man, I don't treat her like she, bro. I don't know. That was kind of rude. And you start, well, maybe. And now the Lord can start talking to you because the body is helping one another. <clears throat> Here's the second reason why sometimes our prayers don't get answered. Number two, you may have been disobedient. You may have been disobedient. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22, Jesus is talking about how God, how God the Father answers his prayers. And he says it like this. He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I love my Muslim friends. But the problem with Islam is they're not keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ. And so all those prayers are going nowhere. All, I, I appreciate all the other religions and, 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 and appreciate people trying to be disciplined. But there is only one way that leads to life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. Either you're a Christian or you're not. That's what a Christian is. This is what we believe. And so as a result, and when you and I are walking in disobedience, it's like, come on, think about that practically. You tell your child, hey, you finished every bit of those, oh, every bit of those veggies, baby, and I'm going to take you to a movie tonight. Come on, we got a little bit of time. I'm going to take you to me, but you got to finish your ve veggies. I'm not finishing my veggies. I don't like veggies. Well, first and foremost, what are you going to do? I don't know about what you're going to do. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in my house. Come on with your little bad self. Come on over here. Let's just whop, 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 whop now. Eat some veggies. Bless God. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what happens in my house. You say, well, hell, I, 
I just, I just hurts my heart to do that. Yeah, you're, you're not disciplining them, and as a result, you're raising a little hellion. This is what God does. He says, I discipline those I love. She said, I'm crying, and God won't give me this. God won't. Well, let's ask you a question, my friend. Where have you been in rebellion against the Lord? I've been there. I've been there. There's a man that did me dirty. Did me dirty. Did me wrong. And, uh, and I took offense. And that offense turned into anger. And that anger turned to bitterness. And I couldn't have a conversation about this man without talking bad about him. Without exposing his weaknesses. Without turning. I'm a, I'm a motivator. I'm a communicator. So I, those, those are the guys you don't want mad at you. Because they'll turn everybody else mad at you. And get everybody on their team hating you. You don't even know what happened. And that's what I was doing. And I was in a time of prayer. Oh, God, I love you. Oh, God, I need you to help me financially. Oh, God. And, and literally, I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, I ain't doing nothing for you until you repent and go tell that man you're, you, you're sorry for speaking evil about him. I said, God, let me tell you something. You know what he did to me. He's wrong. And he needs to repent to me. And God said, no, 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 no. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And they took me to the passage. Remember the passage, those of you in Bible school, where the guy gets set out of jail by the king for all his debt, and then he goes find some little dude that owes him a little bit of money. He beats him down, he drags him into court. This guy owes me a little bit of money. And the king says, isn't this the guy I just forgave? Take everything away from him. Let this other guy go. Take this guy back. Put him back in jail. See, when you and I walk in obedience, then our prayers begin to get answered. When you and I say, nope, Lord, I'll only go so far with you. I will not obey in that area. So that's why we're constantly challenging one another. Hey, is there anybody in our heart that we're angry at? Is there anybody we have bitterness with? Because we want to be obedient to the Lord and forgive those who sinned against us. All right? Number three. You still there? Say yes. Come on. You still love me? Say, you good, Pastor. We like you. All right. Number three. You may not be ready to have what you want. You may not be ready to have what you want. My poor kids, they get picked on in all my messages, but we'll just keep, keep the course. Um, my older child was watching a television program that was okay for, for him to watch, and one of the younger ones came in and wanted to watch it as well. The problem was is that they had seen the commercial for it just a week earlier, and it was a cartoon Batman or something, and it gave them nightmares for a week. And they were like, Dad, we, can I watch it with Cohen? Can I watch it with Bubba? I'm like, No. You're not going to get to watch it. Why not? That's not fair. He gets to watch it. And I said, listen to me. You're not ready to have what you want. It gave you nightmares. Maybe when you're a little older. Maybe, maybe, maybe then you'll be ready to have what you want. Look, can I explain something to you? If God gave you the million dollars you're praying for right now, you would mess your whole life up. Because I'm going to tell you, the first thing you do, you walk into your job, everyone, be, and there's a bean, every one of y'all. Man, look you, 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 look, you, you'd be so far in debt, you'd be buying stuff you should never be buying if God gave you what you wanted right now. Somebody tell the truth. That's true. You're just not ready for that right now. God will give you what you want and what you need in his perfect timing. So if you're not having it, then just say, Lord, I trust you. You got it. You say, I'm single, and I want to be married. I'm going to end up being an 80-year-old virgin. Oh, God. Oh, God. Listen to me. Our Father knows what we have need of. He knows how to give good gifts. You're not, be, you're not ready yet. All you're going to do is mess it up. Go ahead and stop being so weird and start, start changing a little bit. It's good, I promise you. Be, learn to be nice. All right, keep moving. All right. Last and final one. 
<laughs> Number four, at your level of maturity, you cannot properly comprehend the answer. Let that sink in for a second. At your level of maturity, you cannot properly comprehend the answer yet. I'm a pretty mature Christian. I've been in ministry for 25 years. Mm, I've, I've heard a lot of preaching, studied the Bible a lot. And I still recognize I'm still pretty immature in some areas. And so I know some of you, the older you get, you think I should be so smart and so wise. And so therefore everyone should listen to me. There's still a lot of maturing we all need to experience. And so sometimes we begin to ask the Lord and cry out to the Lord for something that we're just, our maturity can't properly handle it right now. For example, I've had friends whose parents have died or lost a child. Number one, who lost a child. And I buried that young man, 14 years old. And that daddy, it was that daddy's only son. He had three daughters and one son. And um, it, was his mo- it, it, was, it was the mother's fault. She, she didn't do something properly, and that kid fell out of the back of a truck and, and split his head open and died. And I'll never forget sitting with that dad. He's weeping uncontrollably. And he looks at me and says, why would God let this happen to me? Why would God, just even in the question, he's not mature enough to even handle the answer. My, my prayer was that he could walk in an engaging relationship with the Father and that the Lord could sustain him until he was at a place where he could see it and he could understand that even though the enemy meant something for evil, God could turn around this for good. But it, he wasn't there. That, he couldn't grasp that. He couldn't understand that. It was, too, it was too painful. It was too harsh. It was too hurtful. And so therefore, God can't be real. He can't be loving. He, he divorced his wife and walked away from the Lord broken, broken man. And one day he'll die, and he'll stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because of his anger, because of his hatred, because of his lack of submission to the Lord, he'll literally destine himself to eternal fire. And it breaks my heart. And I understand, it's tough. It's, it's terrible. It's horrible why bad things happen to good people. But I want you to understand something. Our God is a good God. Sin entered the world, and as a result, there is cancer in babies. Because of Adam and Eve's rebellion from the very beginning. Because bad people do bad things. Because Jesus said it like this, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. In other words, good things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. There's no respecter. It just is the way the world has worked now that sin has entered the world. And that's just how it is. And then there's a demon that hates you and host of devils that are trying to destroy your life. And embitter you so you'll turn away from the living God. So you've got to understand these factors. But he wasn't mature enough to handle that. One of my children came to me, one of my girls, when they were five years old. Five. And said, Dad, where do babies come from? I went, now I've got a choice. I can lie to them. Baby, they come from the start. You see, he flies and he's got the little baby hanging in the little satchel. That's where they come from. No, baby, I tell you what's better. They're angels that fall from heaven and they become you, baby. You, you is an angel that was in heaven. God sent you to us. You know what all that lie, that's why your kids don't believe in Jesus now because you lied to them so much about all that stuff. Now, how am I going to, well, let me tell you how you make babies, baby. Come on, let me show you. I can't do that. That's crude, rude, and obstrude. You can't do They're not mature enough to handle the answer. Come on, somebody. So what, do I tell, what did I tell my five-year-old? I said, baby, listen, let me explain something to you. You're not mature enough to handle that. You have to trust daddy that I have your best interest in mind. 
You've got to trust Daddy that when the times come, I'll reveal that truth to you so that you can be a prosperous part of our society. But baby, right now, you're not ready for that. You've got to trust me, baby. You've got to trust me, baby. You've got to trust me that I got you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm not going to let anything harm you or wound you, and I know how to give good gifts to my children, and I'm going to take care. But you've got to trust me because right now, you're not ready for that answer because if I gave it to you now, it would destroy you. It would, it would wig you out. You're not ready for that right now. Wait until I get you to this place, and then I'll give that to you because I'm a good daddy. Are you with me? Say yes. And so many people say, nope. Nope. I'm not. So I told my five-year-old, I said, listen to me. You're not quite ready for it. Give it about two years, and your mom will explain everything to you. I promise you right now. (laughs) Prayer that works. Say it with me. Prayer Prayer. that works. works. Come on, stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent this morning.